So would you mind introducing yourself for the audience, please? Sure. My name is Andrew Tischler. I, uh, I'm an artist. I'm a teacher. I'm also, you could call me a YouTuber, which is a, a funny modern label these days, I guess. Um, and I just love to paint. And I, I really love to teach other people how to paint. And I'm also really passionate about the art business and all the things that that entails. And it seems that 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 covers a lot of ground these days. You know, being an artist nowadays, you've got to wear many different hats. And this is something that I, I find um, both challenging and engaging. Um, you know, when I first started out, um, I just thought I'd be able to paint as an artist. It would just be wonderful just to be able to paint pictures. And that was it. But now I'm finding that being an artist requires so many different things. And so that's me in a nutshell. I sound a bit weird because I was born in Texas. I moved to New Zealand when I was very young at the age of six. And I lived in New Zealand from six to 10. Then we moved to Australia from 10 years old to, gosh, when I was 20 something, I met my beautiful wife over there, Rachel. And uh, we've been together now for oh, nearly 15 years and got a two-year-old son. We, and meeting in Australia, we came back to New Zealand. She's, she's originally a Kiwi. And so now I live in the South Island of New Zealand. Um, potentially soon to be the North Island. We might be moving again here pretty shortly. And uh, yeah, that, that's my that's my elevator pitch. That's who I am, what I do, and where I'm from. That's great. Um, it's interesting, you were saying about being from Texas, could you say, and then mm -hmm. to New Zealand and Australia. Um, looking at your art, it's very much an in, sort of American tradition, in a way, do you feel yeah. like an American artist or, or a Kiwi artist? I don't know. I think I think it's really interesting this this uh, sense of national identity. It's, it feels so much weirder now that we have the internet because everything's so connected. You know, it, it's instantaneous. Here I'm talking to you guys. You're in the UK, right? And and it's and and a lot of my friends are in the US, um, and it's. It feels so international now. I just feel like an artist. I honestly don't think about I'm an American artist or I'm a New Zealand artist. I will say, um, I, I sometimes I feel a bit American. I'm really inspired by the American landscape, though I don't paint it as much as I should. But here, living in the South Island of New Zealand, I mean, when I first saw this place as a young child uh, during that that brief stint of living in Wellington for from the age of, of six to ten, we took trips down here to the South Island. I think this is where God uh, used all of His best ideas was on, on this particular patch of earth. Uh, I, I I really do. I, it's it is so beautiful, and there's a reason this is like one of the top tourist destinations on the planet. Is that uh, you know it's just so scenic and and so beautiful. So I'm really inspired by the New Zealand landscape, but it, the New Zealand landscape is a really interesting one um, because it's it's kind of international as well. Like we have so many different European species of trees here because it was colonized by by Europeans, and so there are some places here that look like they could be from the UK or from from France or from from Europe somewhere. You know, it's uh, so it's um, yeah, I I. I I don't know how I identify uh, as such. I, I don't really give that a lot of thought. I just love to paint and, and yeah. I, I leave it there. Yeah. And how long have you been painting? When did you start getting interested in it? 
Oh, gosh. Uh, so I've been painting ever since I can remember, uh, painting or drawing. I, I was always involved in some sort of art and, and some sort of art making. My father is an artist still to this day, but I grew up being surrounded by it. My mother uh, was a very talented painter. Uh, my parents uh, split when I was very young. She left the picture when I was about two. Um, but I grew up with this awareness that my parents made things. And I, I found it very weird uh, as a kid that other people had to work jobs. Weird and kind of a little bit sad. I mean, dad worked very, very hard, but I, I just thought, you know, it looked like so much fun. It was just so cool that that he got to do that. So I was really blessed to be in that family that by some freak accident, I just ended up with, with these parents and, and the circumstances I did. And so it was very natural for me to fall into that. So I don't really ever remember a point where I started um, being interested in, in drawing and painting. But I do remember specifically one moment when I decided, all right, it's time to get serious and go professional. And I, I've said this before in my podcast and, and in other interviews that, that, that I've done, um, there was a moment in the 11th grade in, in Australia, because I went through high school in Australia, and I was failing a physics exam. And I remember this, you know, so profoundly that that it was I, I was sitting there failing and it was a three hour exam. I had the paper sitting in front of me. I had no idea about anything. I didn't pay attention in class or anything, but I thought that I needed that physics qualification to be able to go into architecture because I was thinking I, I, I had a moment of weakness there in my, in my path. And I thought, well, I, I better have something I can rely on. So maybe I have a trade, but at least it's kind of arty and I'll get to make stuff and, and I'll get to draw stuff. So I was thinking that, and I had some uh, favorite artists of mine, you know, Ted Kautsky um, was one that I was really influenced by. And he was an architectural draftsman of sorts. He did artistic representations of what buildings would look like. And his work was stunning, pencil, watercolor, oil. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll be an architect. I'll rely on that. So, but there was a moment I was sitting there in this physics exam failing. And then I just thought, what am I doing this for? Why don't I just jump all in and be an artist? And I, and I remember thinking that and that thought being so heavy for me as a young lad. And then from that moment on, it was like, nope, I'm going to be an artist. So my senior year of high school was the next year. I was all about the art. And then I went in to do a fine arts degree at a tertiary institution, got my degree, got my qualification of which I've never been asked for. Um, but I'm fully qualified if anyone wants to know. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then from there, I, I went full time, um, probably 2000 and I probably towards the end of 2003, then going on 2004, I started getting my, my, my first commissions in university and I had my first solo exhibition in 2002. So I was well into it even when I was in university. So it's, it's been over 20 years ago. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I want to pick on something you said there about the qualification. Yeah. Yeah. and I have talked about this we've maybe mm -hmm. talked about it with some, some past guests as well is I've got a degree in fine arts but I never ever put it on my CV, my Instagram because yeah. to me yeah. to me, it's uh, in many ways I, I don't want to credit it for what I've learned myself mm -hmm. out, outside um, and there's been a tendency especially with some of the big art schools in the UK, St. Martin's, Goldsmiths and stuff, but 
if you put that in your CV or your Instagram bio, it suddenly makes you a good artist in that sense. Um, yeah. How do you think now with, with the internet and you're a teacher, you do a lot. Do you think that art schools are important anymore or is the information out there if someone is willing to learn? Well, I, I think we need to define terms because uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people that, especially if they're young and starting out, or maybe they're they're looking at a change in their path and maybe they're a bit older and they want to try something else now. So they think maybe, oh, I better go to art school and get a qualification in this. I think there are art schools and there are art schools. I would not recommend for one moment to get a degree in fine arts from a tertiary institution, like a bachelor of arts, fine art. Uh, I would not do that. I think it's a complete waste of time. And I think you would only want to do that if you were willing to play the game. So if you wanted to go into academia and get into some sort of political position, maybe sit on a board, maybe be somebody who gets to make those decisions about what's the next monstrosity that that you know, municipality is going to buy for the town square, then maybe a fine arts degree is is your ticket. And maybe that's what you should do. And look, I might sound a little bit bitter about that because I am, because I, I see the the system overall as, as broken. But I think most people, when they ask, should I go to art school? I really think what they're asking is, should I go someplace that's going to teach me how to paint? And I think, yes, to, to, that, to answer that question, yes. Now, there are multiple ways that you can do that. Nowadays, we're blessed with the internet and we, we didn't internet. The internet was just getting going when I was in high school, uh, late high school. And I'm really aging myself here, but it really, we, I didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. I, I, I imagine fellas were in the same of the same vintage, but I don't want to yeah. make assumptions. Uh, but we all have a bit of gray in our beards. So I'm guessing we're the same, <laughs> we're the same vintage, right? So, um, uh, yeah, I looked down the other day. I had a great chest hair. That was wild. I'm like, oh, far out. Stop. Stop it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think with art school, a lot of people, like if you want to skill up, there's two ways that you can do it. You could go full immersion and you could sign up for an atelier or, or, a, or a classic academy. And that would be awesome. Like I, I sometimes regret that that I didn't do that. Um, I think I could have benefited a lot from that. I think it could have saved me a lot of time, maybe shaved a decade off my trajectory. But nowadays with the the internet, there's a lot of options for people to learn skills and techniques. And if it's just technique that they're after, if you're a disciplined person, then have at it. Most of your favorite artists now will have a, a, a DVD, a tutorial, or at least an interview that they've done somewhere. Um, I try to make a point of reaching out to all my favorite artists and then some, whether they'll join me on my podcast or not, and just to talk to them to hear hear about how they started. A lot of them do start off at at, at ateliers, and I and I think that the the benefits of that are clear. So again, just on that, you know, that is a almost a concentrated period of time that you are fully immersed in that thing that you are passionate about and you specialize in that and you just master that that can be a period of months to years you know some of them i i understand after talking to pavel sokov um very talented uh, canadian russian painter who studied with jeff watts at the watts atelier um in the u.s 
I understand from him that it was, you know, a concentrated period of time, but you could stay on. You know, I've talked to Cesar Santos, who's who's done um, a stint at 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 an atelier type school, and that seems to have done wonders for him. Um, but then back to the online model. You know, I, I have a particular academy. I've got Tish Academy, and that's where I teach, and I'm very passionate about teaching. And I just basically dump on my students everything that I've gathered over the last twenty mm -hmm. years withholding nothing back. And uh, that seems to have really benefited some people. And, you know, some come and go. Some people have been with me since I started, you know, which has been over three years now uh, since starting that. So I, I really feel like it's a great time to be an artist, uh, particularly if you want to learn skills and techniques, but also if you want to learn like the business side of things, you know, let's not forget that. It's a great time to be an artist for that too. You can get that specialized insights into how to make it work as a business. And there are many different roads to find your path. There are many different ways to do that. Just as there are so many different ways of painting a picture, there are so many different ways to, to make this work as a business. But I also think with the business, even financial side of things, we have the benefit of learning from people like uh, Bedros Koulian and Tony Robbins and, and Dean Graziosi and all of these different business giants who are entrepreneurial and pushing that. You know, I, I listened to a guy named Myron Golden, who's fantastic. He's got some great presentations and talks on that. And so I'm listening to these things as I'm painting going, oh, wow, okay, well, I can plug that into my art business. So I think if you're disciplined and you're able to self-direct, then it, it's a really good time. There are so many things at your disposal, at your fingertips right now that can help you forge that path. You know, I, I can give certainly my point of view and my opinion, but to give you an idea about what I'm doing, because I like still to this day, I'm in school, I'm learning. So my my playlist, if somebody was to look at my browsing history, it's it's all this entrepreneurial business type stuff. It's it's a few um you know, it's it's a few biblical things that I like to listen to while I'm while I'm painting as well. Um, there's a few podcasts and artist talks that I listen to, but it's things that feed me and feed that life path and feed that business direction that that really add to that. And um, no, I, I I'm pumped for it. I, I think I think it's a really exciting time to uh, to be alive and be an artist. But again, just back to what I was saying at the beginning. Don't uh, universities now, I, I think the model is broken. And I think universities now are in a position where they really have to justify themselves. They've they're hiring marketers, they're hiring uh, that whole side of the, the because it is a business venture, it is an institution. I don't see the sense in going into enormous amounts of debt for something that no one's going to ask you about later. And they're not going to teach you how to paint. I have not updated my CV in a decade. No one asks me for it. I, I've just booked a, a really, you know, prestigious artist residency. It's going to be the uh, fourth time I was aboard this particular vessel. And they've never asked me for my CV or my qualification. They said, here's my YouTube channel. This is what I do. Here's my work. And I can do this for you. And they're like, cool, we'll give you a shot. And they're like, oh, people loved it. You want to come back? I'm like, great. It's just networking, you know, talking yeah. to people. Yeah. I, also, I, I, I would, I wanted to, sorry, just want to add yeah, one thing. Sorry. sorry. I would not put the name of the institution I studied with on my CV. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm that, I'm that sour about it. And to anybody yes. that's watching from that particular school, 
Hi. <laughs> Hope you're well. I, I don't I don't wish any of the people ill feelings. No. I just think it's broken. It wasn't for me. Yeah. yeah. And I'm similar with it hmm. in that sense. That, like I was saying earlier, I taught myself how to paint in my own way, mainly from just going to art galleries and looking at Turner, looking at Constable. They they would paint, to... paint beautifully. You paint Thank beautifully. You. Thank you. Yeah. And it's you know, it's a hard one thing, as, as you know, whether you do that through, um, you know, going to a painting school or you learn yourself by going to museums or you know, watching YouTube videos or whatever it is. So when it comes to my fine art degree, which was mainly conceptual art and reading, and um, I spent the majority of my time there, down in the library um, just reading all of the old art books. I felt like I was learning more there than going to a lecture on conceptual letter writing, male art. Didn't, it's not what I went to uni for, to art school for. So yeah. now yeah. in that sense, I teach as well. So I teach mm -hmm. locally, just quite humble art classes. Um, but I also teach the Pennsylvania School of Art online and soon to be Ohio School of Art mainly with gouache paint. Um, but for right. me, I want to give what I didn't receive. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean. Do you absolutely do you feel yourself doing that as well? Or oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's twofold. Um, so I got to know, I became acquainted with a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. John D. Martini. He's got an interesting philosophy on this. So, so he's a, a speaker, an inspirational speaker, um, but he was also a, a resident of this particular place where I got this artist residency. And I got to know him personally, did a painting for him. But he he um he has this thing in his material that he talks about. He talks about voids and values. So the things that that we're missing for you are the things that drive those those things that you yearn for, the things that you value most. Um, and so I think part of that comes into play is that, yes, I was missing some of that, but also part of it is gratitude because I did have some extraordinary encounters with some really generous artists, my father being the, the primary one, but other, you know, I got a chance to meet some of my heroes. Um, one gentleman in particular, his name was Michael Challen. He was an incredible artist in Perth and Western Australia. He painted realistically. Uh, the exhibition that he had, he had it in the lobby of a, the, the buildings called the Woodside Building in Perth on, in St. George's Terrace. I still, I'll never forget this. It was about 2005, it would have been. He had a, a, a sold out show that was touring Australia. It showed up at the lobby of this. I remember seeing that show. It was the most spectacular exhibition I've ever seen. It was stunning. And I remember getting to meet him and he looked at my work. He wanted to give me feedback. He was so generous and he just started dropping knowledge on me. And the light bulbs were going off for me. And I didn't think this at the time, but I reconnected with that idea that it's like, oh my goodness, Michael did this for me. I now have the opportunity to do that for others. Now, I've said this, as corny as it sounds, it's true. When you're a teacher and you're passionate about it and you love it, and I do, and I imagine you do as well, you're giving the gift of art. And to give somebody the gift of art is one of the most profound things because you're not giving them a painting. You're not giving them a drawing. 
you're giving them a level of understanding so they can turn around and get in touch with something that's deep within them. It's, it's, it's almost spiritual in nature. And now, like for me, like my life trajectory completely changed when I got hooked on teaching. And it's that message that you get that is like, you know, I, I, I don't, it doesn't matter if it's from Karen in Alabama or George in Oregon or, or Francis in the UK, it doesn't matter who it is. It, you know, I, I seem to get the same comment and message over and over again. I haven't painted in 35 years. I just saw one of your videos and I went out and bought all new art materials. Thank you for inspiring me. I receive that message over and over and over again from different people who don't know each other, you know? And so I think when you can do that, it's, it's, it's really humbling. It's, it's really important. So I don't feel, yes, I feel like I was missing something back in the, in the, in the university days. And yes, I was bitter about my training there, but I also didn't listen. My father told me before I went into that, remember, you're already an artist. They're not going to teach you how to paint. He actually said this to me. He said, you go to university, go for the, go have a good time. Enjoy it. Go, go and mix and mingle and, and mix it up, you know, enjoy yourself. But remember, they will not make you an artist. You're an artist already. You'll be an artist when they come out. Of course, I, I still had that thinking, broken thinking in my mind. No, they're going to teach me how to paint. Well, man, was I sorely disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'll get off that one. <laughs> but uh, hopefully hopefully that makes sense. I, I think yeah. um, that, that makes my my teaching journey so much more colorful um, that, that I really want people to succeed. I really want people to get it. And and not that I have something that's necessarily unique. You know, I credit a lot of the old masters for my particular methodology. And when I say methodology, I can point to several methodologies that I teach. I just want to give people access to, to that stuff. And um, yeah, not that it's original, but it is, it is certainly, I think I've carved my own unique path. But this is what we do as artists. We 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 pick and we borrow and we put things together and suddenly something starts working for us. And other people are like, oh, what you doing over there? Can you tell me? Yeah, sure. This is what I'm mixing. This is what I'm using. Here's what I'm inspired by, you know, so on and so forth. But absolutely. That's fun. That's fun. It's sort of teaching and art. They they kind of go hand in hand in a way because all people need is interest, desire to paint the materials and then someone to kind of help unlock that for them. Mm -hmm. School puts people off art. I mean, I mean, um, university or uh, mm -hmm. college, mm -hmm. but kids are very free with their, their work. Something about secondary school scares mm -hmm. people about art. Yes. Most learners and most people come out, I tend to find they're adults who've, always had that passion that had a career or um, whatever and haven't painted like you say for 30 years but have that burning desire and they just have to sort of meet that person that has that potential to help unlock it again yeah yeah it, 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 you said something there you know kids are very free Pablo Picasso once said that every child is an artist the trouble is how to remain an artist as one grows up and I, I, I love that because you, I've got a two-year-old son and as you're watching children, they're so free and he hasn't quite got to the stage where he's creating, he's more destroying at this age, but um, th there is a freedom there. And I think some of us are blessed. Some of us are fortunate that we have 
the, the right circumstances as we're growing up that we're able to continue in that freedom. But I think it, it I also think it, it never really leaves us that there are some people that even when they're older, they've worked a life, they've raised their kids, maybe they've raised their grandkids, and now they've got a bit of spare time, maybe some spare money on the side, and they got they got a bit of freedom. They're like, oh, I'll always love to paint, and now I want to get back to that. Most of my students are actually retirement age, and, and they now are in that position where they have that freedom to dedicate to this thing that they always wanted. This is something that I really wish uh, society would get right as well, by the way, just on a side note, is that if we could find a way collectively to bring that that desire, that that need to create, if we could bring that out, celebrate that more, but culturally, it still seems to be a thing that yes, okay, it is tough, but so is everything else. So you might as well tough it out doing something you love, right? And And if we could celebrate those people, it's like, oh, you want to be an artist? Good for you go get it, you know, and, and here's some stuff that will help. <laughs> um, but instead, you know, most people that I've spoken to when I've been doing my podcast and interviews, most people are like, they, they were discouraged from it. And, and if they were younger, maybe they had a bad attitude. They're like, oh yeah, well, you just watch me. I'll go and do it. Um, but most people were told, oh, you can't do that because you'll starve, you know? And so, yeah, it's, um, I, I went on a bit of a tangent there. My apologies, but uh, I, I am tangent man. <laughs> Do you have a question? Bring me son? back on track. Yeah. Uh, well, earlier you'd well actually, in fact, before we started recording, you'd mentioned about um, work that your team had been had been uh, working on lately, and I was curious, who are your team and what what do you do? My team is um, very much, uh, it's kind of in flux and we're, we're, we're working some things out. So I've got, I, I've got a couple of guys that work for me here in New Zealand. And then my wife is very much part of that team as well. Um, so it's a very small team. Um, but now one of my guys is, is going to be going off independent, doing his own thing because he's he wants to kind of spread his wings and, and he set us up. He's like, right, you're off and running. Cool. I'm going to go do my thing and I'm here on call if anything breaks. So I'm glad for that. But with the with what we do um, and with, with what I, what I do and the help that I require, um, I paint pictures, I draw pictures, and I teach. So really, Andrew only needs to be doing the original paintings, uh, the capturing of the video, uh, and the drawings. You know, uh, paintings, and drawings, capturing of the video, and doing the voiceovers and sending the emails and responding to people. Uh, side note. Uh, I I personally like to respond to my messages when I, where I can, not necessarily the customer emails because we've got a system for that to help us. No, it's not AI; it's a real person. Uh, but with my direct messages on social media um, and messages that come through my online uh, academy, um, all of that is direct. So that takes quite a lot of my time. So you can imagine when you're capturing, like, because everything that I'm painting or drawing, pretty much the entire time that painting is in production, the video cameras are on. And it's not just one camera, it's five. For the most part, it's five cameras rolling just about simultaneously. And I, and I, I bet my editor, Jim, would he's not too happy about that, I'm sure. I gave him a project recently. It was just a 20 by 24 um, canvas. It was like 60 hours of footage that he got. And it was, and he had to chop that down to an hour. I'm like, yep, good luck. See you in a week kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, you bastard. <laughs> but um, he does a, an amazing job, uh, does Jim. And so 
that that's pretty much what what we're up to now. And then um, my darling wife, she actually helps with the you know, helping anybody that's having an issue, maybe downloading a tutorial if they're getting stuck or whatever, she's there on customer service. Um, and she also helps me, um, you know, deal with clients if they want to commission a painting. That's something else that we do as well. Like I, I still am taking on commissions. And so we we book a, a bit of work that way and, and she helps, you know, talking them through and getting the deposit and scheduling that sort of stuff. And yeah, it all, it all ticks along. So we've all found our roles. Um, I still probably do a little bit too much. So for instance, today I was I was saying before we jumped on the call, I was a little bit flustered because it's been a particularly busy, challenging day. I haven't had a chance to make any art at all today because there's one particular video that's so technical and so involved that I'm the one that actually has to edit this whole thing. So I've been editing today. I've been on the phone today. I've had meetings um, and I've been doing reviews. That's the other fun thing I get to do. So it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You know, sometimes you got to do stuff you don't want to do, but I keep that thought in the back of my head that I know that all of this stuff is still going to help give somebody access. It's still going to help give somebody that thing that they're looking for. It's going to impact someone. And, um, that's, that's really important for me to keep in my mind. You know, whenever I feel like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this. It's like, nope, Susan in Albuquerque needs me. <laughs> I will help her, <laughs> you know, sometimes it helps to personalize it as well. I got some great people following me and, and, and following the art school as well. So very grateful for that. So it's, it's a pleasure to work. Do you get frustrated if you don't paint? Oh yeah, dude, I'm a, I'm, I'm a jerk. Give me a couple of days without painting. I am not nice to be around. Yeah. Don't, don't let this fool you. You don't want to come near me. <laughs> it's, it's... Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm the same, and I've been setting up a little gallery. Um, and so I've had all of that going on, and you know, loads, loads of other stuff, and haven't been able to paint that much. And it's like withdrawal symptoms, and I don't know, don't know what it is, because it's, you know, in a way, it's just another strand of your job. It is the main important thing, but but I don't get, um, you know edgy or, or whatever if I'm you know haven't made a um written something or made a video it's only painting I get like and what do you think that is oh gosh I I think I I don't know I, I'm still honestly I'm still struggling with it um but I think we have a particular relationship with what we do I think I think ultimately it comes down to identity and when we identify with what we do, and maybe we do this to our detriment, maybe we, we do this too much, um, but when we identify with what we do and we're not doing that, it appears, appears to be a rift almost with our personality. And I feel this with my, myself, you know, on a very you know, visceral, visceral level, like I, I, I feel it um, because I'm a painter and painters got to paint, right? So if the painter's not painting, it's like asking the plumber to go and 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 be an arborist and and I, terrible analogy, but you know what I mean. Maybe a plumber is like actually it sounds pretty nice, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I you know, it, it's it, you you identify with this thing that you that you have to do, and it's for me, painting is a release. Painting is taking this thing that's within me, and and releasing that to the world but for for the most part just expressing it 
it's almost like emotion. You know, you've been around somebody, you know, or, or maybe there's an awkward or difficult conversation you need to have with one of your pals, or maybe you're in a relationship and maybe you're feeling that tension and frustration. Something needs to be said. You bottle it up. It feels uncomfortable. But when you say it and they're like, oh gosh, you know, well, I've been feeling the same way or whatever, or like, hey, look, no worries. I hear you, whatever. As soon as it's out there, you feel this kind of relief in a way. Yeah. Maybe art's kind of like that. I certainly feel that it can be. Mm-hmm. There is something else as well. Just again, another tangent, but I I feel sometimes, um, you know, that there are so many ideas in me, and if I'm not working, getting those out, I feel like it's just it it hurts in a way. There's a there's pain that's associated with that. Uh, it's there's something that that has to get out on that canvas. Something has to be born there, and I, I've got museums full of the most extraordinary paintings you can imagine up here that might not ever see the light of day. They're up here. And by the way, even after they get painted, they're still up here. Cause I'm like, Oh, miss, miss that one too. Oh, better luck next time. You know, but I, I so I, I, maybe I'm getting better at this. Um, the older I get, but I, I also, I think that, that this frustration is just something that, I'm learning to embrace and, and I would prefer feel this way about it than be in a position where it's like, well, I've got painter's block. I'm not sure what I'm going to do now. And it's not that I don't get frustrated or feel some sort of creative block from time to time. There are ways to to get out of that. But I, I feel like my, my problem is this, this kind of frustration knowing that time is short ideas are long, you know, and that's just the particular place that I'm in. Um, yeah. I really feel like I didn't answer your question at all. No, I, I, I think I think you did, <laughs> and I, I can relate to to a lot of what you were saying. And I, I think you know the the analogy is maybe the the singer or the musician. You know, if they are yeah. are sort of taken away from that form of self expression because it is. Yeah. A, it, I think it's also. In a way, a, a meditative state. Yes, you, with yes. all of your other business stuff, and me with all, all of my things. That when I'm painting, I'm I'm in a completely different headspace to what I am with those other things. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. of course, I'm thinking about what I'm doing, but I'm also I've also got this kind of stream of consciousness stuff going on. Mm-hmm. It, it's a particular flow state now that flow state doesn't um, it doesn't happen all the time there's a great book by i think he's czech psychologist mihai csikszentmihalyi he's um come up with this idea of flow and Mm -hmm. he, he sort of studied all of these top athletes, painters, performers, Mm -hmm. scientists and tried to look at exactly what that thing was that when they were in that moment and I think in a way painting and for painters um, we maybe experienced that moment when we were young and I'm not saying we got addicted to it but we we saw this as this kind of ultimate um, way of being you're creating mm. so I think that's why it is different to so many things again 
I could never get excited about doing my accounts and I could do painting. Um, so I think, you know, I think it resonates a lot. Just a quick question, something you said in mm. there. You talked about creative block or painter's block mm -hmm. and their ways mm -hmm. around it. Could you share some? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think, well, blocks come in, in multiple forms. You know, it can be it can be some sort of emotional block. Um, it could be some sort of technical. Maybe there's something technical that's holding you back. It could be a lack of inspiration. There are many different kinds that that you could be facing. Um, so what I was referring to there was specifically lack of inspiration. I, I don't necessarily feel that. I have gone through blocks that were technical in nature. Um, but you know, also just kind of like your emotional state does sometimes determine you know, are you in the mood to do this in the first place? Generally, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, I'm never not in the mood to paint. And if I'm not in the mood to paint at all, I find after 20 minutes of painting, oh, I'm suddenly in the mood to paint. And here I've been painting last week. So forcing myself to do it, that flow state does kick in. And I, I'm familiar with, with flow. But let's just say, um, let's just say if somebody's listening to this and they're going through a particular creative block at the moment, uh, there, there are some strategies right now to, to get out of that. One of my favorite ways to get out of that is, and you could do this in a few different ways. You could, if you're in a major city and you have an art gallery or a museum where you have access to old masters or some of your favorite paintings, go, stop what you're doing now and just go and spend the day at the museum. One of my favorite museums that I've been to was the National Gallery of Victoria, their 19th century wing. Uh, this is in Melbourne. And they had um, the Victorian painters from the UK, and they had a few French salon painters there. And there was a collection of work that was called the Felton Bequest. And it was it was extraordinary just being in this room and seeing all of these amazing works that just jaw-dropping. And I could never walk out of that gallery not being in the mood to paint. After you're looking at an original Waterhouse, or an original Jules Bastian LePage, or an original even Arthur Streeton or McCubbin, or you know what have you, a few of the Aussies in there as well. Um, I, I could never walk out of that gallery feeling like, man, I don't really feel like painting now. No, I'll let them do it. No, it's like, oh, I've got to. Okay, I've got to make, you know, I got to make this this bigger and more dramatic, and I got to paint the waves like this and the sky like this. I'd always come back with some sort. So creative block gone. That's one of my favorite ways. Now I, I'm not blessed to live near a, a museum, but one thing I do have is I have nature. I have the outdoors. So sometimes just getting out of your head, getting out of your space, taking a walk and thinking and breathing, just give yourself a bit of breathing room. Those ideas might start to come back. You know, another way is flipping through some of your favorite art books listening to a podcast, just something that's going to trigger the inspiration. Because I think by and large, what, what a creative block is, is it's a state that you're in and we need a rapid state change. And often that state change can come by doing something different. You've got to actually move. If you're in that state, don't stay there, move, do something else. And so for me, there are triggers, there are cues. So one thing that has really helped me enormously is I, I have a particular space that doesn't allow for creative block. 
Now, if you could see the studio that I'm in, and I've got videos where you can see a bit more of my studio, mm -hmm. um, but I, I basically have things around me. So first and foremost, there's never going to be a technical issue in the way because the paint is organized, the tubes are clean, they're laid out in order, the palette's clean, ready to go, the brushes are clean and ready to go, and the project's sitting there for me to get there in the morning or whenever I can get back to painting, I'm good to go. I can be set up and painting with the cameras on in about 10 to 15 minutes. And that's setting up all my video cameras, right? Syncing them all up, slating all the shots, and then boom, ready to go. So not just having everything clean and organized, but also having the right visual triggers in the space, right? So I, I also have a playlist of talks and, and videos and podcasts that I can't wait to listen to. And I know that I get to listen to that audio when I'm creating. So I know I'm going to learn something cool. I'm going to be able to apply something else to my business. I'm going to learn a new business strategy or whatever but I've got that sitting there ready to go. I've got visual things throughout the studio that are cool, that just make me like, oh, that thing, that thing, that thing. Yes, it's stuff. Yes, it's material. I, I believe artists should be materialistic. We should be obsessed with material stuff. You know, I've got like this really cool plaster horse statue and a, and a, and a replica skull and some of my dad's uh, portraits. I've got photos of my beautiful family. They remind me of what I'm doing this for. You know, I got some vintage taxidermy and some of my old favorite paintings here and even a couple of paintings from some buddies of mine. And so I walk in and immediately this just draws the creativity out. I, I have not too many, not, I don't go crazy, but I have some of my favorite books around Edgar Payne, Composition Outdoor Painting. Shout out to Samuel Earp who got this for me as a gift. Uh, and so everything's good to go. So when you walk into your space, how does that make you feel? Does it draw draw that out of you? Now, not everybody listening to this is going to be blessed with an awesome studio space. I get that. So for some people, it's a kitchen table and that's okay. That's okay. How could you make that kitchen table yours for that time that you have and to get out of that? So again, my recommendation is if you've got everything, maybe it's in a storage tote, it's ready to go. You just drag that sucker out, set your stuff up, have an art book there, have something there, chuck something on. You could be in your zone. And you know, I've said this to other people as well. Like I said this when I had my big grand studio in Lawrence, way down in the South Island, I had converted an old building into a studio gallery. And I was there for a couple of years and it was great. It was one of my favorite studios so, so far. It was a massive space. And people would be like, wow, this is amazing space. You're so blessed. This is incredible. I'd be like, yeah, it's an amazing space. But you know, the only space that really matters there's two spaces that really matter. The space up here, how you think in the state that you're in and that two feet between you and the easel, you and that canvas, right? That space. So it doesn't matter if I'm in a broom closet, I'm still going to have two feet away from that painting. Yeah, I might want to stand back now and again and look at what I'm doing, but that's the thing. That's the space that you're in. So sometimes walking into the space, that can draw it out of you. But if you have a little space, that's okay. There's some strategies there to get out of that creative block, get right back on task, start creating again. One other thing I want to add. Don't ever don't ever get down about creating a bad painting. Cuz sometimes creating bad work can put you in a state where you 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 start spiraling downwards and now you, that's that's relating to more creative blocks. Make sure you got a few projects on the go. And if you create a dud painting, you know, there's always a way to fix it. Put it to one side, get to work on something else. Don't lose momentum. You know, one thing that can help get out of that creative block, start on something small, knock it over, feel really good about it. Celebrate some of those things that really work. 
If something's not working, no problem. Fix it on the next one. That's the other thing that helps create a block is once you build momentum and you start just churning through, it's very hard to stop. It's hard to stop a locomotive that's in motion. It's very difficult to stop the moving train, but that's what we are when we're creative and we're working. We get that momentum behind us and, and you keep going and you'll find a creative block will be there on the tracks, smack right through that sucker. So yeah, it doesn't need to take much to to, to build that, but hopefully that's some strategies that will help. Some that's people. great. I mean, that's yeah. such important insights. I think you shared there. The universal. I mean, it really, really does help. And it, you know, these strategies from artists are, yeah. they're like gold dust. And this is part of what this podcast is about. Simon, do you want to ask a question? I wanted to ask you because it's 10 to 8 here in the morning and Mm -hmm. at 11am I'm going to be meeting a friend of mine who's a BBC wildlife photographer and an author, really nice chap, and we're going to be going to two galleries today and in between the end of this podcast and that meeting I'm going to start collecting materials for this episode so that I'm prepped to edit it throughout the week. But then after today, after the visit, I don't know whether it's going to be evening time when we get back. I'm hoping it will be a reasonable time so that I can get some artwork done. The thing is, is that in the back of my head, I'm going to be thinking today, as much as it's going to be networking and it'll be cultural enrichment, it'll be visits to potential clients for video and different things that I'm going to try to fit into this uh, trip today there's going to be something in the back of my head saying, I need to try and make videos. I need to try and produce more artwork. I need to get this commissioned up. How do you partition your time in order to make sure that you can fit in all of these different things that you have? Because I have a similar spread to yourself in a way where I'm trying to do 10 things at once. And do you set yourself hours and deadlines? How do you schedule your time in order to achieve things efficiently? Yeah. So yes. Yeah. I, I think you need to schedule and deadline. And if you, if you don't have that external pressure of somebody applying that to you, then it's probably best to apply that to yourself. Um, part of, of, of doing this now and making it work, I think is, is having that discipline to be able to set a calendar and try your darndest to, to stick to it. That said, giving yourself a bit of grace as well to be human is important too, because we don't always feel our best. I mean, sometimes we get sick, you know, sometimes things happen. You know, I, I got sick this year. I didn't see that coming, not by a long shot. I, I'm, you know, I haven't quite got to the bottom of it. Anybody listening to this, please don't worry. It's all good. I, every time I say something like this, I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, they start freaking out on me, which I guess is nice to have people worry about you. But I, I, um, you know, when I got a, a bit sick, uh, you know, I wasn't able to have the output that I had. And so I had to just learn how to take it easy a little bit and learn how to be a little bit kinder to myself and allow myself to do what I could do. So I think, I think, yes, having some structure, I think what would be really important to do, you know, a a few things here. It was really interesting that the start of this year, I decided I would measure everywhere I spent time. I just started treating it like a science experiment. So I, I started keeping a time journal, just in a notebook, just an A4 notebook. And I'd write down what time I woke up, what time I showered, how long I spent maybe on social media, if I had to make a post and then respond to comments or whatever, how long I was spending on emails, how long I was spending eating meals, how long would I train for or work out? 
um, how long was I going to allocate to spend with family? Um, cause I, I had to run the business. I had to get things done, but I also wanted, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband. So how long am I going to give those people that I, are most important to me? Cause we've got to be there for our people, right? It's never enough. I'd love to spend all day, every day with them, maybe paint some of the side, but you know, it's, it's important that we, we have room for all of this. So I started, I started writing everything down first before I set my routine. And then I was shocked when I was, when I was doing this because I was even measuring transition times. So times between tasks. So it's like, okay, hang on a second. So you mean to tell me you went from emailing to painting, but to set up, it took you half an hour. So you, so you painted and then you went to draw and you moved from that space up to this space. And it took you another half an hour to set up those cameras. So what that caused me to do is become conscious about where that time was going so I'd set up systems and strategies to be able to make it happen a lot quicker. So I started, I started optimizing my space. I started creating playbooks around things. I realized I was spending too much time in meetings with my team. And so the meetings got shorter and sharper. I, I started being a little bit more rigorous with that schedule. Sometimes things fly out the window. Of course, it happens. We're human beings. Things come up as well. But what that awareness gave me was this new direction and also the other thing that it gave me is the sense of urgency. And that can stress you out in a way. It can make you a little bit anxious, but it gave me the sense of urgency knowing that a day is actually a very limited thing. It's a tiny little, it's a blip a, a day is. And you, we can only do so much. So I wanted to feel a little bit more successful at the end of the day. So, you know, I'd be a little bit more reasonable with my checklist earlier on. I was really ambitious with how much I wanted to get done. And then, so my day would start off in the morning. I'd be setting my schedule for that day and then I'd be moving through. And then at the end of the day, I'd go, well, I've only crossed out half. The rest of it's crossed out in red because I didn't get it. It's got to move to the next day. And then I'd beat myself up about that. It'd carry on. And then that would build the opposite of momentum. I'd be stagnating there at the very beginning. So I, I think first measure where you're spending that time, then set some sort of routine. And, and that will give you a level of awareness about the different things that you have to do. But more to your point of what you were asking about there in terms of juggling these different hats. You know, I, I often get this image in my head. You, are you guys familiar with the Cat in the Hat book by Dr. Seuss? Vaguely. There's this particular there's this particular image where the cat in the hat is there in the house and he's juggling all of this stuff. I think he's got it like on the end of a cane or whatever. I don't know. When you edit this, maybe I've just made your job harder. You got to find that image. He's <laughs> juggling all this stuff, and on top of all that stuff is a fish bowl and a goldfish, and the fish is freaking out, you know. And and so there's all this stuff that the cat in the hat is juggling, and I feel like sometimes the artist is doing the same thing. So maybe we need to just bring it back a little bit, scale it back and, and work out how we can make that work um, and simplify a little bit. And if you don't get it done, be nice to yourself. It's okay. Here's the other thing that I don't think we want to admit. People don't care whether we post or not. I, I just don't think they do. Yes, it's good for us and it's good for our business to maintain that, that presence in people's minds. But if you don't upload a video for a while, it's like, yeah, I didn't upload. I was busy or I was dealing with stuff. Oh, okay. Well, glad you're back. Hey, awesome video. Thanks for sharing this one. No, people's lives go on. Everybody's so busy that everybody's caught up in their own thing. The one thing though, that is important 
if you're kind of in the position that I'm in, if you've made a commitment that's very public and people are paying you to show up and they're paying a subscription, you got to show up with the goods. And so we we do our darndest to show up with videos. In fact, I, I'm I'm kind of proud of this. I had people email me and message me and say, hey, listen, I got to go. Uh, most people stayed, but some people are like, you upload too much. There's too much content here and I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I was like, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? They're like, stop uploading for a little while. Let us catch up. And I like, I just got one comment after another. When I asked for feedback, they're like, you upload too much. How are you doing this? I'm like, oh, phew. So I can, I can, even I can take it easy a little bit, but I still upload pretty much weekly on my Academy. So people over there are, are awesome. I, I know I've said that already, but um, I, I think, I think the other thing that we need to do, just speaking about the way we spend our time, is we need to work on those things that are are kind of our non-negotiables. All right. So what what are those target amounts every week that you feel you really have to be painting? And then be rigorous about your schedule in a way. Yes, give it a little bit of grace. Okay. Yes, don't be kind to yourself. You don't make it, it's okay. But you put in that kind of that, that assertiveness and that aggression up front. It's like, no, I'm going to paint for five hours today. I'm going to paint for eight hours today. Right? If it turns out to be seven instead of eight, great. If it turns out to be four and a half instead of five, no problem. But set that, setting that goal and setting that as an intention and then doing your darndest to make sure you achieve that, which means when the phone rings and Barry's asking you to go to the pub for a pint, he said, oh, you know, the game's on, come down. It's like, bro, it's my painting time. All right, you, you you got the wrong you got the right guy, you got the wrong year though. I'll talk to you later. Click, you know, see how long he hangs around for. Your true friends will understand. Barry might not, but this is this is part of the thing. I think we need to have that discipline so we're able to call the shots a bit more with our schedule. I I didn't have that in my early twenties. If I did, man, I, yeah. I, I, who knows where I'd be now. I'm very happy with where I am now. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, I think I would have gone a, a lot further. I'm talking to people in their twenties now that have got this stuff plugged in and they are on fire, man. I, some of the youngsters I have on the podcast, I'm like, how old are you? What? Uh, come on, man. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. You shout out to Talia Stanton, shout out to Lily Rose Burgess, you know, and, and people like that, uh, you know, it's, they, they just inspire the heck out of me. Amazing artists. But they've got that discipline. They've got that 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 ability to lock in. You know, I didn't have that, and it, it didn't come until my thirties. Yeah. I find that very inspiring what you're saying. Now. And I was still in the room, and I was I was listening. Um, and I said this to Simon um, beforehand, and like looking through what you do and your stuff and your myriad kind of um, platforms that you're you're using with it. I've always been in, in many ways much more chaotic. I'm better now nowadays. Um, mm. I'm, I'm organising myself, but there's still a, an element of, of chaos there. And mm. I think the next step for my myself is to learn from people like yourself and how you are able to do that because I've let many, many things in my life um, and sort of I haven't paid enough attention because I've been to paint, 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 paint. Yep. And then a lot of the time I've, I've been actually painting, I've been frustrated because it wasn't happening and then I'm forgetting this and that and the other. So, you know, I found that really, really inspiring what you said there. And 
I know that I have that capacity to compartmentalize to some extent and, and to make the most of my time. And, and, and slowly getting there but I've always been a bit of a romantic painter you know a tortured artist in that sense it's sort of you know just consumed by inspiration or despair or lack of inspiration but I'm a businessman now as well and mm-hmm. taking on a gallery I've I've just um, managed to get a small gallery come studio come workshop space right next to the beach and it's a massive new leap for me because awesome. I've been this solitary guy that steps out and you know does my workshop does my online class and then goes back into my little paint cave but yep. this is going to require an absolute different mindset to to yep. structure and what you said there was really 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 important thank you yeah well, I, I, there's, there's, there is something else here. I mean, you've raised a few things there that I, I think need to be discussed because, you know, maybe we don't have those skills. So maybe somebody's listening to this and they're, they're like, well, no, I, I am the, the, the typical artist. And actually, there's no such thing. <laughs> I just catch myself on that one. But I, but I, I am a, a, an artist through and through. And and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm creative. I'm, I'm kind of flaky, head in the clouds and all of that. And I think we all, everybody that's creative has, has that tendency for the most part. But I think if that's, if that's you and there's nothing wrong with that, if that's kind of the, the direction that you're going in, that's your personality. Cool. Rock that. But I think that there are other aspects to that business. If you have the opportunity to, you could team up with somebody else. Maybe there's a great word, it's delegation. If you're able to take those tasks that maybe aren't your strong suit, but are the strong suit of somebody else, maybe if that's their wheelhouse, hand those tasks over to them. And maybe you can work something out where you enter into that partnership. It could even be some of your other artist buddies. It's like, hey, you know what? Michael's great with numbers. Sally's fantastic at organizing events. You know, we could we could put this together. Maybe we could have a group uh, collaborative effort here. Maybe we can we can all wear the hats amongst us. You know, I'm great at coming up with the visions and and the grand idea and then getting to work in my studio. You know, and you find that maybe you could you could do that. And I I I came across this. I, I this was put so well in a book by Michael Gerber called The E Myth. And he talks about the way that most businesses start. And, and there's a shocking statistic out there about most businesses failing, most small businesses failing within the first year. It's something like, if, if I remember the statistic, pull up the statistics anyway, but I, I think it's well over 50%. Most are small. gone within, yeah, most are gone within the first five years. Only only less than 10% make it past that that first decade you know, less than 10%. So it, it, to run a business actually requires a lot. And it's not just artists that struggle with this. Everybody struggles with this. So Michael Gerber talks about there's three basic personality types that you have in any kind of business venture. You have the technician, the entrepreneur, and the manager. Now, Tony Robbins has got a very similar kind of formula. He's got the artist, which is probably really appropriate for us, the entrepreneur and the manager. What ends up happening, and if you listen to Michael's book or you read it, um, is the technician has what's called an entrepreneurial seizure. And then they spend the rest of the time mismanaging the business, and then it ends up in the can at the end of that. And they end up having to go and get another job to pay down that line of credit that they borrowed to start this thing in the first place. So what needs to happen is 
we need a level of awareness about what our strengths and weaknesses are. We've either got to skill up in those areas that are lacking or team up with other people that can help us in those areas. Now I'm blessed. I married the right woman. She's got a head for numbers and she's great at organizing finances. Don't ask me to look at numbers, charts, and figures. Like we, we've hired a digital marketing agency. They 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 run some of our social media ads. I'm looking at the readout and I'm like, guys, explain this to me. You're going to have to tell me because I can't math. I'm not doing, I won't do it. I can't do it. I look at it. I'm just like, okay, explain what this is. They're like, this month we did great. I'm like, Great. See you next month kind of thing. You know, I, I just need somebody to really dumb it down for me because that's just not my jam. You want to talk about painting, man. I'll talk your ear off. You know, you want to talk about maybe a new business idea or something like that. I'm all about it. So I seem to straddle that, that territory between the technician entrepreneur. Um, in terms of the manager, I can manage myself pretty well. I got that discipline down. Um, I can set a schedule and I can stick to it. I can structure my time. I'm focused. That's the other thing that was really important for me is finding that that deep work focus flow state and staying there. I'm also good at getting myself to do things I don't want to do. I do it. I do it anyway. So there's a few things that, and these weren't necessarily always with me. They weren't skills that I always had, but I, I've had to develop them. And now I can summon them pretty much at will. And But a big thing I will say was finding the right help when I needed it. Now, if you're an artist and you want to do that moody, broody kind of artist thing and just kind of uh, chill out in your studio, create the, fine, that's great. Anybody listening to that, if that's their headspace, that's that's great. Maybe the model that's best for some of those artists is maybe the gallery model would be great because they got the business and they're running it and and they can represent you. So now it's going to be up to you to do your artist thing, create your best work and present a really slick body of work of the highest quality you can muster to that gallery if if you want to go for that model. Otherwise, if you want to run this thing yourself, I would recommend A, teaming up with some others who would share in that vision, but maybe come with a different skill set. I, I know this right now. Don't don't get in the trap of thinking you need somebody else like you. If I found somebody else to work in this business that was just like me, I would have gone bust long ago. Like I, I, this would not work. I need people who aren't like me, who have unique skills and talents and abilities, and and are much smarter than me and much more capable than me in in other areas. I'm not going to ask them to paint pictures, you know, and, and they're not going to ask me to run the numbers. So it's it's important that we have that. Um, I will just I just want to throw in one more thing here because I think it's it's been particularly important for me. We all have a different relationship with this, I understand. When I was training really hard this year, and I will get back to it soon again with some of those health challenges, I haven't been able to train for the last few months. But when I was training really hard, that actually helped me develop that discipline to to be able to do that. So if I didn't feel like it, well, guess what? We're doing it anyway. So I'd show up every day and I'd get my workout. I used to train in the evenings, but I, I then realized that I had more energy and I was set up for the day and I was in a better state of mind if I did it first thing in the morning. So I would do that really early, get that workout out of the way. My body's full of those endorphins. But the the thing, it was such an important physical metaphor. It's like, okay, I can see the deadlift bar has got that sitting on it. I've got to lift that thing. I've got to lift it 10 times and we got to do it for five sets or whatever I was doing that day. And then after that workout, I'd be like, that was really hard. That sucked. If I can do that, what else can I do? 
more importantly, if I can get myself to do that thing, that unpleasant thing, then writing that email is not so hard. Creating this newsletter is not so hard. Sitting in this meeting and trying to find a new strategy for, for whatever, when I'd much rather be painting, that's not that difficult because I did that. That was really unpleasant. That hurt, you know, try to do it properly with training and supervision. That's fine. But, you know, it, it, it's physically unpleasant to put yourself through those paces. But here's the thing. The more you do that, you physically get stronger and more capable. But the more you exercise that discipline, just like a muscle, you're capable of more as a result of doing that. And I don't think, you know, everybody throws discipline out like it's just this kind of this little throwaway line. Oh, it takes discipline. Yeah, but what is that? What does that actually look like? And I, I, I think it's important for us artists to be able to, whether we feel like it or not, get ourselves in that position where we, we can sit down and just do the work, just get it done, whether it's art or something for our business. So for me, the, the exercise has been quite beneficial and it, as, a, as a way of being able to tap into other areas of my life and, and, and channel that quality. So um, yeah, just something else I want to throw in the mix there. Because we're going to need, even if in the sense you're that kind of romantic artist that's using the gallery model, um, you're going to still need some discipline. And it's just, it's all about how far, I guess, you're willing to expand the potential of that discipline. Because even if you're working with a gallery, there are things to do. You know, a lot of people, and I had this myth as well when I was much younger, that the you know, the artist kind of spends most of their time in a Parisian left bank cafe, you know, talking about art, smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. And then they're just sort of going to the studio, do this. And, you know, th that was the kind of the bohemian artist life. But if you're working towards a solo show with a gallery or, you know, you're even shipping paintings to a gallery, they weren't particularly tight, it takes you know, a certain level of discipline. I think what I'm taking, you know, from what you're saying there, and now because I've, I work with galleries, I'm represented by a few galleries, but I'm a kind of a, a hybrid in the sense of I'm also, and I've always been this sort of um, very independent, slightly business-minded, I'm going to do this for myself, you know, that type of thing. And what I've found is that, and I began, began taking painting seriously about around about 10 years ago now. And at first, even that discipline of instead of running to the art shop to get some new paints or going for a walk to get some, that discipline of saying, I'm not feeling like I want to paint, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do an hour every day. Then it became two hours every day, then three hours every day, and then all of that structure around it. And I think discipline and then thus potential is, is expansive. And kind of like you were saying with the exercise, that once you get a taste of it and you're disciplined in one area, your potential for that just sort of starts expanding. And Exactly, exactly. It, and I, I guess we, we kind of have to say, I remember, so I'm 45 now, and... I remember when I was like in my early to mid thirties, I said, by the time I'm 40, I want to be a professional artist and have, you know, work in galleries here and there. 
And I was 41 when that happened, you know, so sort of overshot awesome. it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But I had that vision and, you know, in the end I started, the more I was sort of disciplined in it, the more that vision started to solidify but also that vision started to expand you know that it, it can and i work in mental health as well so i run sort of um i spent 10 years doing it running uh, like art workshops and mental health capacity so people sort of didn't have like this inspiration or you know did, did um a form of self-expression. And I saw like over time, you know, people who were resistant or couldn't be bothered. On mm-hmm. on the first day, six months later, they're coming in with their little box of paints and their portfolio and stuff like that. And you know, in myself, I used it with my own mental health problems to get that structure in and that discipline and to have this kind of vision and this goal. And I think seeing what you you do you know with all of your branches and your success and the more you've disciplined yourself the more that potential is there yeah there's um there's a really interesting um diagram that i've seen tony robbins use quite a bit and i and i think it's it's really accurate and it's this this feedback loop that we're, we're always engaged in this feedback loop and it can be both empowering and disempowering and so the way it looks is this, it's, it's basically four squares and they, 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 one goes on from the next to the next. So it's basically facing you here. You, you've got in the top, in the top, and if anybody's, if anybody's following along with this, and this isn't mine again, it's Tony Rums, but if anybody's following along at home, it, make four squares. So, so uh, two, and then underneath those two, another two. So, so four squares in a square, if you will. And that top left square, write the word potential, right? And then draw a little arrow to the top right-hand square and write the word action. And then below, bottom right-hand, write the word results. And then bottom left-hand, write the word belief. And so what this does is, is when you when you are in the circle, and we're always on this spiral, and the way it kind of creates this this empowering system or disempowering system is based on a few things that that happen. And this is something that I find has been so beneficial for me as a way to kind of visualize this and, and, you know, in, in line with, with what we're talking about here, you know, we all have unlimited potential really, when you think about it, but our, our belief about that is, is maybe not all the way there. And if we really knew or believed what we were truly capable of, who knows what we'd be actually capable of. But when you have a certain belief that, you know, things maybe aren't going so well and you're feeling down, maybe you're in a depressed state or whatever, your potential, you would say, in that state is pretty diminished. And if your potential is diminished in that state, what kind of action are you willing to take? And if you take only a little bit of action from that, position, what kind of results are you going to get? And then it starts this feedback loop. You go, see, I got lousy results because I only took a little bit of action, but I knew that it wasn't going to be much. And then when you start this cycle again, less action, less results, that feeds into the belief. See, I told you you were right, you know, loser, whatever. By the way, some of the stuff that I've told myself over the years, dragging myself down further into this spiral, it's shocking. 
I wouldn't tolerate anybody else saying this stuff to me, the stuff that I've said to me that's that's led to all sorts of disasters. But the opposite is true. You know, we could we could borrow a vision from the future and get really certain about something that I could create this thing or I could do this thing and it could be awesome. And when you when you really tap into that, you have to borrow from that future and go, yeah, I can see it being better than it is. Let me let me reach into the future and kind of grab hold of something there. The potential that you have in that state is so much greater than if you weren't doing that. So then what are the, what are the actions that you're taking as a result of that? They're going to be even more ambitious. Now, you might not achieve everything that you had set out to achieve, but the results that you're going to get are going to be far better than if you hadn't have taken those actions. And then what's that do again? How does that reinforce the belief that you had? And now you can see this is slow, slowly something that can start spiraling you upwards as well. That's just something I want to throw into the mix because I found this really important for me, just helping my own mental state, my own mental health. I've gone through issues with that in the past as well. Um, and it's it's helped me enormously. I've got a history of it in my family, my mother, brother, lots of people, just about every family member I know of, you know, has, has gone through this. And, and so maybe you could say it's genetic, but the more people I talk to, the more people are, have gone through something there. And when we kind of, when I saw a graphic representation of this, like it was, it was put in a picture and I could look at it and I was like, wow, that totally makes sense. And I could see how this applies to me as an artist, but also other artists as well. And I think artists generally were visionaries, right? We, we, we visualize things. We, we imagine things that don't exist and we bring them to life. And, and we're always up in our heads and we're always thinking heads in the clouds. And we're always, always coming up with something new that can be both an empowering thing and a disempowering thing. You can imagine some pretty horrible things, you know, happening. You can imagine some wonderful things happening, but this is one little technique or one little tool that I found that was able to, to really turn most situations around for me. And it's been great. I've had an opportunity to recently revisit this and I, I could just see even today how true that is just for me, but just again, something I want to throw in the mix there. Thank you. That's great. There's a bit of a change. We're going to end it here and we will continue with part two next week. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really a pleasure talking to you. It's been awesome. Thanks so much. Can't wait for part two. Thank you.